Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I'm super pumped to be here with you all today, my friends. Here we are in the second year of existence of Diner Talks. Feels good, y'all. Feels good. Uh, thank you so much for being here. It's just pumped to hang out with you. What are you going to have today? You going to go fancy? You going fancy, aren't you, huh? You getting an eggs Benedict? You probably get an eggs Benedict. You look like a guy who's celebrating holidays. All right, I regret that joke. Let's keep it moving. I'm really pumped to have my boy Joe Mosseri coming out here. He's my guy. He's my man. I have known him for a very long time, uh, so much so that I may have mispronounced his last name, but that doesn't matter. Um, but I am pumped to have him coming out here. He and I met in the Dominican Republic, I think, uh, which is kind of random at a wonderful wedding, but he is also the cousin of one of my best friends in the world. And to you all, he is an Emmy-nominated anchor, reporter, boss man. He's an incredible individual, does a lot of stuff over at WPIX 11 in New York City. Uh, he has covered some amazing events such as uh, Superstorm Sandy and some other awesome stuff. He's also deep into the sports scene in New York. We'll talk a little bit about some sports in New York because uh, I don't know where his allegiances lie. And if they lie in the wrong place, my friends, this will be the shortest episode you've ever seen. But either way, I'm really excited to bring him out. He also has an incredible uh, show that he's been working on called The Dad Have or Dad Habit, where he talks about being a father with a lot of other cool fathers. And so we'll talk about that too. But let's enough of the chit chat with me, y'all. Let's bring out my guy right now, Joe Moser. Hello, up, hello, hello. Man, it's hard to get service in this diner. I've been waiting for a euro over here. Euro, gyro, whatever it is. However, a hero. Yes. It's, it's almost lunchtime here in New York City, so I could take one of those. Oh my gosh, the Greek puns come early. <laughs> What's going on, my man? Thank you so much for inviting me into the booth. Yo, brother. Thank you for sliding in here with me, my man. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's funny. We, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. There, I'm assuming that our paths crossed before the Dominican Republic at that wonderful wedding of your cousin and my good friend. Uh, but uh, I can't remember it. I'm sure at some point in time we met over chicken parmesan at his at his family's house or at some sort of family outing. But that is the first memorable time uh, meeting you because we had such we just had a ridiculous time down there. Do you well, remember well, meeting me before that? You know, I, I don't remember specifically, but I'm Great. sure it had to happen because uh, we definitely ran in, in some circles at those backyard parties. But look, I mean, uh, my cousin had a couple years older, or, you know, a couple years on me. And so his friends are a bit older and it, it doesn't make a difference where we are now in life. But when you're, you know, 13 to 20, I guess, in that age, <laughs> three, four years, you know, makes a difference uh, yeah. at that developmental stage. And let's be honest, we are not the people now that we were then, right? Yeah, we have grown sure. and, and and become our own people. And 
I will tell you though that Dominican Republic trip, that wedding, uh, that is unforgettable. So <laughs> at that point, I was like, man, I I need to hang out with this guy more, and uh, I'm glad we're getting to do that a lot more now. Yeah, man, I'm pumped as well, brother. I am pumped as well. Uh, yeah, we probably I was probably stiff arming you into the pool or something like that when we were younger. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were so many people that tried to drown me at the bottom of that pool that I can't really remember all of uh, yeah. the attackers. That's but I perfect. enjoyed it. It's I guess it's Stockholm syndrome or something like that. <laughs> One of those Nordic city syndrome uh, syndromes for sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joe, this show is called Diner Talks. Now you are uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, yes? Yeah, yeah. I made it. Uh, I, I made it far in life. Yeah, I'm four well blocks done. from where I grew up. Yeah, so but that's, <laughs> that's how far I've come in life. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, a, I'm a Bay Ridge boy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, four blocks in Brooklyn is seven nationalities. So, I mean, you really have made it further than most in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's definitely true. It's like the United Nations in my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. I heard a fact that if Brooklyn stood on its own, it would be the eighth largest city in the country. Which is Oh, sir, crazy. don't sell us short. I think it's third. Third? I think it's third in, uh, on its own. I'm pretty sure it's be- behind uh, – it would be – you take it out of New York. I think it's like after Chicago. It would fall right in line there. Wow. There so, it is. Well, yeah. there you go. <clears throat> well, you're eighth in my heart. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, since you're no stranger to a diner, Joe, what's what's your go-to diner order, man? Whether it's a late-night guilty pleasure or, or something like that, bro. What's, what's, what's your move at the diner? All right, so I got to go cheeseburger deluxe mm. with bacon on it and a chocolate malted. That yeah. is like late night. We were out at the bar all night. <laughs> I, am, I need some grease to soak this up. You know, your inhibitions are thrown to the wind, and I'm going to sleep this off because I'm going right into a food coma after that. So, yes, yes. Oh, my God. Onion rings on the side. And you know the thing about diners? Not all of them do this. But I love, you know, the thing that they put in the middle of the table, it's got the coleslaw, the pickles, and sometimes it's like beets or or Mm -hmm. chickpeas. Dude, that is the most underrated part of the (laughs) diner. And when I go to a diner and they don't have that there, it's, it's just not the same. Yeah. It you start feel off judging Yeah, yeah. We're off to a bad start. Yeah, yeah. At, <laughs> at least give me pickles from the jump. Absolutely. At I'm least. a big pickle fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm here for that. I'm here <laughs> for that. They're kind of a big deal. Oh, this guy coming with the buns early. Oh, gosh. He's not gherking us around, y'all. Oh, boy. We have Uh, to get to it. In case you want to stop listening now, it's pretty much going to be this for the rest. Yeah, this is this is what you can expect for the next hour or so. So two dads proud now proud of our puns. Uh. I have always been. Listen, man, I have been uh, puntastic since college and and I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> uh, I love it. That's a strong order, the burger deluxe. I, don't, I used to go pizza burger a lot of times at the diner. It was the first time I had a pizza burger. That was always, but the bun. Now, now, I, now I realize that the bun gets a little too soggy for me. Yeah, that. and and listen, if you're gonna have any type of red sauce, it needs to be homemade for me. I'm not going out when you, when you come from an Italian family. You've had you've had the chicken parm. You've had all of the home sure. cooking in, in this family, so you know you can't order Italian out, right? Like. Yes. If, if there's going to be any sort of Italian flair to it, it's got to come from from somebody's home. It's got to. It's got yeah. to. And speaking of which, I'm going to tell you a quick story, brother, because I think I think it's going to make you chuckle. Uh, but so our mutual cousin, Joe, uh, is uh, is a great man. One of my one of my best friends. Not me, world. Joe. My, Not you, Joe. Another yeah. Joe we're talking no, about. Yeah, here. Exactly. The other 
No, the, maybe the first Joe. He's anyway, Big Joe. Um, yeah, in my family, he's Big Joe. Yeah, yeah. For the sake of his pride, we'll call him the other Joe. But <laughs> um, but still, uh, so I went over to his house a bunch after school. Um, and this high school and whatnot, we go over, hang out. Uh, we, this is right when Family Guy came out to date ourselves. We go and watch Family Guy. And, uh, and his mom's one of the best chefs that I know. I mean, just cooking up. His dad's not too shabby in the kitchen either. And uh, and so, so we're hanging out at the house. And. And, uh, and he's always like, yeah, the fridge is open. Just grab yourself something. And so I'm always in there looking for things. And uh, and so I pull out some cutlets. I pull out some cutlets and I put a little red sauce on it, a little mozzarella. And then we uh, and then we chuck it in the we chuck it in the microwave and heat it up. And then I go, I say, you know, Joey, I said, Joey, there's, there's something a little weird about these chicken cutlets. They taste a little bit different. And he said, what? He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, grab the chicken color, make a little, you know, a little quick little chicken parmesan here while we watch the show. He's like, well, what'd you, he's like, well, where'd you get her from? I said, well, I have the tray on the second shelf. He's like, oh, that's flounder. <laughs> You're the first person ever to make flounder parmesan. Congratulations. <laughs> Is it, it put it on the menu at the diner, man? I'm all about it. <laughs> But you're not kidding. When it comes to cooking good food in our family, I remember my friends used to come over to my house and we used to play poker on like Friday night when we were in high school. And my mom would come out. She'd be like, how you boys doing? You need a little nosh. And, you know, my, my good friend Frank, he'd always be like, oh, I could eat something, Miss M. And then she'd go, all right, I'll be right back. I'll whip you up something. Next thing she knows, she'd come out with a tray of lasagna, some rice balls. It's like, <laughs> she's like, oh, I'm full. Well, but you know, you save a little room for dessert because I got a nice little snack. <laughs> I mean, even if he lost all of his money that night playing poker, yeah. he was a winner because he left full. So at least his pockets might have been empty. But his stomach was always full when he left. So yeah. you felt like a winner. We didn't, they didn't know that me and my mom were running a ring back then it was just a gambling ring that i was taking all of their money as they couldn't <laughs> see their cards guy think he thinks he has a five of hearts you know it's actually a four but he got some marinara sauce on there so yeah, it was yeah. a smudge you know yeah. it's your mama you you would develop like a hand signal or something like that like does there <laughs> does the guy have bullets or no bring out the cannolis mom yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would you like three cannolis <laughs> there you go Oh, man. oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Running the gambling ring out of the house. Thanks, Mrs. M. Uh, <laughs> that's iconic. That's iconic. <laughs> so it is, uh, it's incredible because you, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, you have lost your accent a little bit. Now I know it's in there and you can easily turn it on at any point in time, but I'm wondering as someone who entered the media field, is that something where you was it highly suggested that you try to taper the accent down a little bit uh, or was it something, or maybe you never, I mean, obviously I don't know you. I, I kind of knew you as a young kid, but I don't remember necessarily coming in and be like, who wants to play ball? <laughs> right? Like we, I don't have memories like that, but I'm wondering, is the accent something that you have tapered off or something that maybe your family didn't have a strong accent or was that an intentional choice? So um, I will say that if you knew me as a young boy, it probably would have been the strongest when I was around you because, because when I'm around my family or, you know, you're just having a good time, things come out uh, and you're just a little bit more casual in your conversation. But I have to say, I went to high school and, and I was on the super cool speech and debate team then, you know, we used to call oh, it, yeah. uh, I think it's forensics, they used to call it. So I was given speeches and, and nobody actually ever came out and said, hey, you have to lose your accent. But um, it definitely was something that I noticed then. And I also learned to use it. Um, because sometimes it, this speech and debate wasn't like I was up there arguing points back and forth. It was really a little bit more like performance, 
yeah. based. So we would do scripts, we would do, you know, act out plays and, and whatnot. Um, and it was, it was something that I could use with certain characters that I would kind of play in, in these performances there. And then once you're aware of it and how to use it, you know how then not to use it and you can hear it in things. It's funny. I went down to North Carolina uh, to start my career and hearing some of the Southern accents there made me a lot more aware of my own um, and going in and out of it. It was like, it was just such a, uh, a shock, I guess, when I would come back to New York and I would hear it again. And then when mm -hmm. I would go back down uh, there and to the North Carolina and hear the Southern accent again. But, dude, I love it. I, I, I don't play it down too much. I try and be genuine and authentic because it's part of who I am. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I don't I try not to over enunciate words. I just try and be real. And I think that trying to be somebody else. Look, I'm, I'm not on CNN, right? I work for a local TV station in New York. I don't need the regional dialect from, I believe, Chicago is uh, <laughs> where it would be if we were trying to relate to the most people um, around the country. But you know, it's part of who I am, and it comes out from time to time, and sometimes I play it up. It, it's funny. I, I was doing a highlight the other night with uh, Joey Gallo, who now plays for the New York Yankees, and he hit a home run. And I used a, a Godfather quote, quote in there when he hit the home run. He says, leave the gun, take the cannoli. So you play it up a little bit there in that. <laughs> and hopefully that resonates with the audience a little bit and it yeah. lets people know who I am and, you know, what influenced me growing up. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some guy sitting on his couch like, yeah, I really like this Joe guy. He really gets us. You exactly. Know I mean? nah, this, guy, this guy's a good guy. He's and good then guy there's right somebody here. else who changed the channel. But you know what? I'd rather have <laughs> I'd rather have a lot, you know, a, a small group of loyal, rabid listeners and viewers mm -hmm. uh than a couple who are just like eh, eh. yeah Godfather he, doesn't, he doesn't annoy me yeah right <laughs> he's a solid six for me um, yeah right yeah we just missed each other down in wilmington actually you know i graduated in 2005 and you came just a short while later and uh <clears throat> shout out to shout out to wilmington but i'm wondering ma'am when when was it that you were like, oh, media or being being in front of the camera is what I want to do? Was that something like were you were you making home movies when you were really young? Are there you know these, these iconic things or or was there all of a sudden you all of a sudden you watched a clip of Dan Rather and you're like, yes, um, like what? All right, <laughs> this is this is kind of crazy. So so you know my cousin, so this could get really bad because you might go into the vault and find some of these tapes that are out there. Okay. Uh, but when I was in, I, I when I was really young, probably in elementary school, mm -hmm. I remember we were over one of my uncle's houses and we did like a lifestyles of the rich and famous thing, and we would all dress up. And I think. I And we'll get into sports a little bit. I wasn't a, a San Francisco 49ers fan, but for some reason, I think I was either Steve Young or Joe Montana in this Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous interview that they dressed me up as. Then we did our own video to um, Weird Al's Amish Paradise, yeah. and we were churning butter and, and making a video of that. So I was never shy, right, in front of the camera. I've got like I don't know. I lost count of how many first cousins I have. I'm an only child, but have a, a massive family. And, um, you know, if you wanted to be heard, you just had to, I think, speak the loudest and, you know, fight for that attention. So I think we all did that to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was a little bit of um, uh, shoot Lord of the Flies. That's what I was trying to think. Lord of the there. Flies, yeah. Yeah. Um, you didn't wait for the conk to get past you, though. Of course. No, you couldn't. It was it yeah. was a fight for it all the time. <laughs> but um, so so I was never really shy. Right. I was always outgoing when it came to that. Then I think in uh, in like middle school, 
Um, I was I was like an MC for the talent show. I remember doing that and did my own David Letterman top 10 list, you know, to kick it off um, before we got into the actual festivities. I was doing a dance to Saturday Night uh, Fever over there, staying alive. And honestly, I did that just because I got to dance with the girls in there and got to hang out with them. So that was like my ticket in. (laughs) But I remember the one moment that really sticks out to me is actually when I was in middle school. And we had an awesome program where these people from a radio station came in and they basically spent the week with us and Mm. they helped us put together a radio show that they then aired um, on one of the stations here in New York. And to be honest, I can't even tell you what station, what the call letters were or anything, but sometime during that week, they picked one boy and one girl who got to come and co-host the radio show with their host that weekend And I was the boy who got picked for that. And I had such a cool experience. I was like, this is really interesting. Um, The the tape is out there somewhere on that too. (laughs) But it was so much fun. It was really, really cool to be able to like do something like this and chop it up and have fun and be creative and tell jokes. Um, And I I enjoyed it. So then from there, I went to when I was in high school, um, I did that speech and debate thing. Uh, I got to, I did some writing for our school papers, the yearbook. Uh, We had a sports magazine that I did some writing for. Um, And then I did an internship with a fledgling organization at the time uh, that you might have heard of. It's now, it's it's Fox News. I was an intern at Fox News as a, uh, as a senior in high school. (laughs) And then I applied, all the schools I applied to were broadcast journalism uh, or journalism focused. I, it was uh, Northwestern has Medill out there. I ended up going to Syracuse University in the Newhouse School. And kind of from there, the path has, uh, you know, been set in front of me. Wow, man. That's awesome. Yeah, well, definitely. If we could bust out some of those tapes, that'd be great. I'll, I'll oh, reach man. out to mom. If, if you find, if you <laughs> find the one of me and the, and churning butter, because I think it was, it was quite funny with the fake beard, I think and like, one of my cousins had. I don't know if I did. There wasn't enough fake bearding to go around at right, that time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could, we'd have to shave yours and put it on me and get yeah, that yeah. over there. But I could, I could probably, we could probably uh, chop this in half. I think we could spread the wealth. There you go. Um, I've yeah. churned butter once or twice is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, as someone who also loved being in front of the camera, in front of people and on stage and whatnot, I, I talked about this in one of my previous interviews, but I did the morning announcements in school. And that was that was a fun thing. Were you did you ever try to do that either? Or was that something that could, you could do at your school? The closest, I don't think we were able to do that at my elementary school. My uh, middle school didn't have morning announcements like that. Um, and, but I do remember the closest thing was you got to be principal for a day. Um, and I really wanted to do that. I missed out. It's one of the big regrets and disappointments that I've had in my life. Yeah. So I guess my life's been pretty good. Uh, <laughs> the, the thing that I missed out on, I think, was in fifth grade being principal for a day. But one of the things you got to do there was read the announcements over the loudspeaker. And I was like, man, that is like voice of God stuff. Look at that. Everybody's listening to you. And it's like right up. It's like, look, you go to school, right? You put your things away in your cubby, which is really cool. And then you do the pledge of allegiance and then you do the voice of God morning of an announcement. So you're pledging allegiance to your country. And then the voice comes over and sets out the schedule for the day. Like it's a little 1984 ish, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think about that Apple ad. We needed somebody maybe to swing a hammer and throw it at the loudspeaker. But as a kid, you were just captivated. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's the leader. Everybody yeah. listen. Yes. Yeah. Shh. <laughs> like the claw, like uh, in Toy Story. Yes, yeah. Oh, the speaker is speaking. <laughs> the claw. Uh. <laughs> I don't know if I ever saw our principal actually in person in that school, but I, I knew what he sounded like. That's yeah, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Only the special children yes. uh, on opposite poles got to meet the principal. <laughs> like the Wizard of Oz, man. Yeah, right. But Pay actually, no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> so that is uh, that's awesome. That I mean, obviously, you started these family videos, uh, getting to do. I mean, this that's Joe Montana, Steve Young, whoever it was. Uh, that that's awesome. <clears throat> um, and then working your way through speech and debate, and then jumping into and knowing that journalism was the move. And so, you know, upon becoming a uh, a reporter, an anchor, et cetera, et cetera. You know, typically, the way it works is that you kind of start in smaller markets and then you grow to larger markets. Hence, why you went down to Wilmington, North Carolina first, right. and have migrated to uh, to New York eventually, and then worked your way up, which is incredible that you're in the largest media market in the country right now. Um, that, that's really badass, dude. And, and it's home. It's it for me. I'm I'm so fortunate, right? Because I grew yes. up here too. So I'm I'm home, and I'm in the largest media market in the world. And I don't I don't take that for granted, right? The uh, advantages of growing up here. I mean, I did in high school like in high school i had art class at the met and i was like i don't want to go over there like i just want to go like play in the park i want to play basketball with my guys i want to go flirt with the girls like this is what i want to do in high school i don't want to go to the met and look at the art and now i'm like i can't believe i had art class at the freaking met how lucky am i like what a what a dumb kid i was not to take more advantage of that yeah. Or what just an actual kid you were, right? To right. not, <laughs> to not be aware of the gravity of situations around you and instead be living life selfishly, right? Yes, it's true. <laughs> Youth is wasted on the young. Damn it. <laughs> Tina got to go on this trip, uh, something called People for People, um, where uh, it was only like a, a handful of students were selected from various school districts. Not even a handful. A handful of students were selected from various states, um, from school oh, wow. districts and whatnot. And then they had to go, they got to go to like, seven countries in europe when she was 13 wow she's like, the thing that she remembers the most is like going to the different mcdonald's right um, <laughs> yes and like she remembered a few things like we recently went back to italy and she you know and she remembered uh parts of being in pompeii and and some parts of rome and things like that but you know for the most part it's just like putting pieces of memories together in between mcdonald's trips um and, and that's just you know but she's like yeah she's like it's really nice to be back at a time where i can appreciate this right right and you know it, it's it's funny my experience with mcdonald's overseas i think stems from pulp fiction sure you know with samuel l jackson what do they call a quarter pounder in france oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a family podcast so if you haven't seen it go watch go watch uh <laughs> the royale with cheese there yeah. <laughs> so so i'm wondering for you well as someone who watches the news from time to time and as someone who tries to stay abreast on what's happening in the world and and whatnot, you know, you see these people on on the on the television and no one's really smiling, right? There's a lot because a lot of the news is very serious and it's getting it feels like it's getting more and more serious and whatnot. And and that's because I mean drama sells, right? Yeah. We know that, but also the some of the topics that are happening in the world deserve the 
the, the more serious emotions that are going on right. and, and whatnot. And but you yourself are a very jovial, charismatic uh, man with a, a smile that lights up the room. And so, you know, I wonder how is that balance for you as you have the opportunity to to share more and more stories. And obviously, I mean, you do do a lot of stuff with sports, and so that's that's a little bit different. You can have a little more personality then, but but still, I'm wondering for you. What is it like to be on that side of things and to kind of have your emotions dictated for you almost? Yeah, it it uh, it definitely wears on you. I'm not going to lie, especially with some of the things that we had, obviously, going through the pandemic um, most recently, but um, and and still currently um, it, it does get a little bit depressing. You know, I, I heard this story about a, a study on of information on Twitter and they looked at how fast uh, information and tweets spread. And like good and truthful news would spread a certain amount. But lies and negative news always spread faster. Mm-hmm. And that was like so depressing to me um, to, to think about that. So when I think about some of the things that we put out there um, as a news organization and just looking at the news media in general, um, I I question how much that the tail is wagging the dog because people will say when you do a positive story, well, when you do a bunch of negative stories, some people will be critical and say, oh, you know, thanks for all the doom and gloom. You couldn't find anything positive to report on today. Mm -hmm. But then you'll do a positive story and be like, oh, must have been a slow news day. You did the water skiing squirrel (laughs) or the kitty cat fashion show, (laughs) right? And I'm like, life is a balance, I think, right? There is a yin and yang. And the way I look at it um, for when I do those stories that I think what we call the hard news stories, um, it's, it's important, right? And I think we need that information. Um, and I think you need to arm people with that information to make their own decisions in life. And, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, when I started my career, I, I gotta say, I think I did my best journalism down in Wilmington, North Carolina, yeah. um, probably because, I was young and and naive uh, and and maybe just still had a little bit more optimism about the industry overall um, and wanted to change the world. But I, I look at it and it was like I got I did a story about there was a senator down there who was doing some very bad stuff with his clients and. Um, and we had some really good stories on that. There was a corrupt sheriff's department. There was uh, a question about voter fraud, which actually um, the New York Times in the serial podcast, I think it's called the Adjustment Bureau. Uh, mm-hmm. They called me up for that and asked me about some of the stories that I did when I was down there about vote buying and things like that. So, right, like they're, they're important stories to tell. And I think that the majority of people view the news as having a slant, right? One way or the other. And I think it has become more polarizing. But as far as an individual level, I think that the majority of reporters um, just want to put the information out there, right? It's about information, not affirmation. Mm -hmm. And you might hate what I'm saying. You might love what I'm saying. I don't really care. That's not my goal. My goal is to put the information out there as, um, you know, with, with as little opinion as possible. And if we are going to put opinion in there, it should be from the people who we think are experts or well, well informed on the topics. You know, those guys right. like Dr. Tony Fauci, a, a fellow Regis alum, uh, who's the head of the NIH there. I got to plug my high school. I love my high school. So, <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So, so I listen to him and then, and then you go and you do what you want with that information, right? Like, look, I'm, I, I, I this is, I think we were going to go on this, but we're in the booth at the diner. So, uh, you know, uh, masks are a really polarizing thing in this country. And I will tell you that I hate wearing masks, but I get it. Right. And I do it and it, I'm not comfortable. And it's, it's one of these things I do it because I think about the people around me. I do it because I want somebody to wear one when they're around my mother or my Mm -hmm. loved ones. And so how can I expect them to do it if, if I'm not going to, so when I'm in public spaces, right. And, and it is a mitigation of risk, right? Life, life is a risk. Getting up out of bed in the morning is a risk. You could get hit crossing the street. Mm -hmm. And, but it's about like, how much risk am I willing to take? And I listen, admittedly, I am an adrenaline junkie. But there were certain things that I'm like, all right, this is I'm not I'm not getting a thrill by taking off that mask or, you know, trying to to put those people at risk. So I I think that the the important thing is that we put that information out there and let people make their decisions from uh, what's out there. I've said news is like medicine a lot of times. We don't always like to take our medicine, but but we need to, to to keep us healthy. So. And I got no problem if, if, if people want to put a little humor on that. I look at John Stewart, John Oliver. Those sure. guys are awesome. I, I love I love that we're <laughs> laughing as we're doing it. But there are moments in there where through the laughter, okay, sh- shit, this is pretty serious. Like, yes. All right. I, ca- I can't believe I'm laughing at this. I laugh because I don't know what else to do. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so much. Yeah. So much of the news. If we're not laughing, we're crying. Right. Right. And so people handle their emotions differently, I guess, when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I will tell you that that's part of the reason that I, I so I'm doing even more sports now is because I want to entertain a little bit and sports information, right? It, it's just lighter and, and it, it is about entertainment 99% of the time. Um, and I, I love that aspect of it. And if we can, we can have those conversations, conversation, sure, but I'm not going to be an ostrich and put my head in the sand and ignore what's going on out there. Right, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point in your career, are you able to uh, are you able to kind of not necessarily pick and choose, but like are you able to push yourself towards sports or is it are you still kind of under the is it kind of like you get put where you get put when you come in that morning? Yeah. So, I mean, I worked at, when I came to channel 11, it was interesting because we didn't really have a sports department. It was of the time where a lot of local news stations were giving up on sports a little bit, especially in major markets because ESPN, if people want sports, they're just going to go to ESPN. Right. Uh, and then they saw the value and the money that's attached to sports and that's grown. And then all of a sudden, oh, well, wait, if we can bring in the money, then we can support our news department because good journalism takes time and money. Yeah. Um, and people forget that, I think. But um, where I'm at now is is we've the the ownership group at Channel 11 has reinvested in sports. Um, and I was always like, OK, the reporter who we, they put on the sports stories, but I would be covering everything now that we've got a full fledged um dedication to sports now i am a sports anchor and reporter so right now i'm doing yankee pregame shows i'm hosting a weekly football show about the jets and giants i host a 11 o'clock sports rap show every sunday night um so that's that's my goal now that's my main job now when i go into channel 11 and um i have a little bit of say on what stories i cover within sports but look sports is like uh it's it's a wheel you know the routine right there's there's not there are very few surprises 
in sports when it comes to what you're going to cover. Now, how they're going to play out, we get surprises all the time. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Were you able to go up to uh, to Cooperstown recently to see one Derek Jeter get inducted? Yeah, unfortunate. No, unfortunately, I was not able to go uh, to yeah. that. I was uh, anchoring our sportscast from home, but I was there when Mariano Rivera got in, inducted uh, just a couple of years ago. There actually wasn't that much media for Derek Jeter because things were still closed down. We're still in kind of that COVID time up there. So they had what they call a pool feed where MLB network was basically doing most of the shooting and sending it out to the people who needed it. They had a couple pool feeds up there, but gotcha. as a, as a media footprint, I mean, and even as a fan footprint, it was a lot smaller than it would have been. I think they were expecting Derek Jeter to have like 120,000 people up there in Cooperstown, yep. which if you've ever been, you're like, how the heck are there 120,000 people in Cooperstown? <laughs> um, it's literally a person everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you just step on somebody. Um, but it was, uh, it was significantly smaller than that. I don't remember what the final number was that actually attended. And they did it on a Wednesday afternoon, like yeah, in, right. in, in September. So um, it was, it was a lot smaller of a crowd than they had expected up there. That's fair. My yeah. nephews got to go and I'm very jealous of them. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, I listen, it would have been even yeah. better if you got to be there. Right. Because now if yeah. you did get to go, it would have been, hey, I'm here with fewer people, right? And so you're going to be one of the people who gets to say I was there. Uh, and you got to see Derek Jeter go into the hall, which, which is, is incredible, which is really cool. And and I'm not even I'm not even a Yankees fan. There we go. Um, this is my next question to you, brother. This is my next. Go ahead. Because <laughs> this is a fun. This is a fun answer. So so here's here because as you were just mentioning right like you know when when you deliver the news you're de you're delivering for information not affirmation I really like that quote um, and it's one that I wish more uh, people in your shoes prescribe to <clears throat> um, and uh, or seemingly don't but at the same time like you said. I'm also listening through my own bias. So I'm waiting to hear a little right. bit of an inflection or a little bit of this, right? And so let me own my own stuff on that. It's not just uh, the deliverer's fault. It's also the listener's fault. Right. And so, so, but with that being said, you know, you mentioned that you have to deliver things in, in a straight fact kind of way. Now, as someone, when it comes to sports, right, that's, that's powerful. Uh, people have some very strong allegiances. Are you told to keep your allegiances at bay or are you allowed to have fun with the, uh, with some of the report uh, reporting that you you do with it now uh I, i'm gonna say this because i, I want to i do want to throw this out there at, at a local level and look I, I've, I've never worked for a network station um but on a local level i have never been told that i couldn't cover a story or that if i did i had to cover it a certain way yeah um so my reporting and what i put out there has been my own um and my biases come with that so if i'm doing a story about the department of education my mother was was uh, an educator in the doe for 20 years so that bias comes with me right like yeah. it's it's unavoidable but it plays a role and i can be cognizant of it but that's i i am as an individual just i guess biased toward teachers um uh so when it comes to sports i, I covering sports in new york don't really have to worry about that too much because sure. I did not grow up rooting for New York sports teams. Oh, uh, no. I will say having gotten to cover <laughs> so many of these things, I want these teams to succeed because it means I get to cover more events. Right. Yeah, so like sure. here's the one, the one New York team I grew up rooting for uh, was the New York Islanders. Right. And so seeing them do well is awesome now. And I probably soak it in a little bit more, but my eight to 16 year old self would have loved it so much more. I, I actually feel that like they should let 
kids in that age range like do these games and <laughs> and and report on them because you would be so freaking out and you would get such genuine moments yeah. out of these children and to be honest with you there was a time when my life was collecting baseball cards and basketball cards and playing Ken Griffey Jr baseball on N64 and Madden on PlayStation so i knew every freaking team inside and out not just my team you know i was a gm and doing that and some people still do that as adults in their free time but your free time is less uh and then and those kids i i think they might not have the historical context but in the current events portion of it i think they are awesome and they are probably more dialed in with their 12 fantasy teams and their oh, video sure. games and everything than than I am currently as as an adult, which is, I think, pretty interesting. <laughs> but listen, there was a time when I had to know the 25th man on the Yankees and the city council member from uh, Ozone Park, I guess, you know, and, and yeah. it's just a lot to keep track of uh, when you're doing that. And then forget about the Mets, the Giants, the Jets, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, so so when the Rangers made a run growing up as an Islanders fan, when the Rangers made a run to the Stanley Cup finals, I got to cover that run. And that was awesome just to be a part of that experience, right? Yeah. And feel that fandom. And like my my fandom kind of has taken a backseat. So I, I am so much less a fan than I was as a kid, but I just love being in the arena, in the stadium when those things are happening. Yeah. There is a goosebump-inducing feeling when I hear the roar of the crowd, when I hear the national anthem you know, sung at a playoff game and it doesn't matter what it's for, even, you know, it, with the subway series and nine 11 passing us by, like there is nothing like that mm -hmm. in the world for me to see all of these people together, usually cheering in the same direction and just everybody, it, you don't need to know anything about the guy or girl sitting next to you, except that they are there to cheer on the same team. And you might in regular life, have nothing in common with that person. Yeah. But when you're sitting next to them at that game, that could be your best freaking friend in that moment. And and I I love that. I love the way we come together. I love that you know Mike Piazza can heal a city with the swing of his bat and and give people uh, something to forget about and and something to smile about at, through those hard times. And and you know know that it is okay to to smile. So. That about sports is is what just makes it so amazing for me. And then just from an individual accomplishment, right? You got Cinderella stories, overcoming, oh, sure. you know, the, the comeback stories. I, like when you hear about a guy like Rick Ankeel who can't find the plate and then manages to get back in the league. Or you got, you know, people from all over the world, the World Baseball Classic coming together and, and rooting for their countries. And, you know, you got Shohei Otani who's – changing the game of baseball and is a freaking Absolutely. unicorn out there in LA. It's amazing. They've got the two best players on the planet and they can't make the playoffs there. And, <laughs> and, and that's what makes sports great. All of yeah. that is what makes sports great. Yep. That's yeah, 100%. 100%. I agree. It's, it's so electrifying. I mean, with, with what I get to do, I'm fortunate enough that I do a lot of travel. And <clears throat> as soon as I know my schedule, I'll check out the home sports teams to see who's around in all the cities that I'm in. And yeah. I've been able, you know, I've gotten to go to like three quarters of the baseball stadiums and a whole bunch of basketball and hockey. And uh, typically on Sundays, I fly home. And so I, I haven't seen as many football stadiums. So that's fine because football is absurdly expensive to go to. Anyway. Yes, that's what I was <laughs> 
about but, to say that hits the pocketbook a little bit harder. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you can go to a baseball game for what, like, like three bucks at some of these stadiums just to get in the stadium, Absolutely. and you don't need to sit down. You can walk around for the whole game, and you know these standing room only seats. It's awesome. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, for sure, <clears throat> for sure. So yeah, so what's I, the best? I, I what's the best park that. you've ever been to? Best baseball park I've ever been to is uh, besides Yankee Stadium, which is the holy grail of all time. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, the old one was. I don't know if the new one has. The old the one same. doesn't matter. Wherever the Yankees play is the greatest ballpark. So anyway, um, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> No, but uh, my favorite ballpark in the country is PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Okay. It's uh, it's incredible. Again, like you said, you just pay, you know, eight bucks to go in. You sit on the third baseline and you got the entire Pittsburgh skyline right on the other side of the river, which is not a very big river. And then you have uh, Roberto Clemente Bridge and you just can see the whole stadium and the food in there is outrageous. Right. You get you just you're just sitting there eating pierogies, watching, <laughs> watching baseball, looking at the Pittsburgh skyline. And it's just it's just a super easy park to get in, to get out of, to, to walk around and, you yeah, that's my favorite part. Dude, Pittsburgh, man. I, I don't know what it is, but the universe is telling me I got to go there. It's like every there's there's many arrows pointing. I've never been, but uh, I, I've heard it's great. I got to check it out. Great town. Great town. Uh, yeah, I've been there. I've been to Heinz Field also, which is a good time just because, I mean, Steelers fans are some of the best in the country. Right. And so <clears throat> just being in the building or even just walking through the tailgate was incredible. So, My wife's a Buffalo Bills fan, though. So this week uh, I, and, and she's not a big Ben Roethlisberger fan. So this week it was uh, a, a very rough week for her Yeah, uh, hearing about the, the Pittsburgh fan isn't going to make her happy right now. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair. Well, I'm not a fan of Ben Roethlisberger. He's a jerk, and I understand why he's still playing fast foot, uh, football, but that's a whole other conversation. Yes. Um, <laughs> we digress. Yes, yes, yes. So the state of the media right now and what the media is going through, uh, it, it's it's a fascinating field to be in. Now, if you want, you can be like, well, I'll do sports. I'll do sports, right? You can throw <laughs> your arms up, and, and, I don't, and I don't blame you if you do it, um, right? I'm, I'm not knocking it and whatnot because some of these conversations and some of these opinions, right? I mean, just like the fact that there is something out here called fake news, um, and, uh, and, and so it is a fascinating time to be in the world of journalism, yet it is also one of the most important times to be in the world of journalism. And so so what a what a fascinating dichotomy for someone in that field. And and so I'm curious if you if you had an opportunity to talk to somebody like, let's say, let's say Syracuse said, hey, Joe, why don't you come on back up? I want you to talk to the students here about your experience. And all these people are trying to get into now get into the field. What would you tell people that are trying to get into the media right now about stepping into what is essentially a landscape of eggshells? Mm. Right. Like, I mean, how how would you have that conversation with them? Like, because, again, we know that. Uh, we know which way different news plates, uh, no, news things slant. And so, uh, you know, are you, you're just trying to get a job. And so, but, you know, but the only place <laughs> that's so hiring is, is the, is someone who slants left and you slant right. And so like, what, I mean, it's like, or, or if many they're not the already. only place, or if they're not the only place that hiring, they, they, they pay better because yeah. they're, char- they have to, to recruit, uh, some talent. I, um, I so the first thing I would say is um, journalism isn't something that is exclusive to anybody, and and I kind of I think that's a blessing and a curse um, because you don't have to take any oaths to become a journalist. Um, we believe in freedom of the press, um, and and I I believe that everybody 
needs to, I guess, have a voice, right? That's what it's there for is to give a voice to the voiceless. Um, uh, But I think that in the current age of technology, everybody's got a printing press basically in their pocket, more, way more powerful than that with the phone that you have. Um, So I think the one thing I would say that is that if you're really passionate about something Mm -hmm. and you want to cover something, then do it because you can. Uh, you can go and put something out on your YouTube channel, your Facebook. You can start a newsletter through MailChimp or Constant Contact. There, You can even do use TikTok. You have an ability in today's day and age to reach uh, the masses. And I still believe, I guess maybe I'm a little bit, maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm just optimistic that um, good work will be shared and it will rise to the top um, and it will be seen by the people who are interested, who care, who need to see it. Um, so if there's something you're passionate about that you want to report on, go do it because there's nothing stopping you from picking up a phone and calling somebody to say, Hey, I'm really interested in this. I want, I want to learn more. Can you tell me about what you're seeing at wherever you are? Um, you can send an email, you can do this. There's plenty of ways to get that information. And I think, I think I kind of came to that realization a little bit when I was in college, because as a student reporter, and we were doing this for these, these campus stations, I'm like, there's really no need for anybody to talk to me for this campus newscast, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they do. But people want to talk about it, right? If they care about it, there are people out there who are just as passionate about those topics um, that you want to cover as you are. So go out there and, and talk to those people. Um, and and anybody can do it. So don't let any excuses saying, oh, I have to work for so-and-so. Uh, in order to do it. Look how many YouTube, uh, how many followers some of these YouTube channels have out there, right? Joe Rogan is basically just sitting down having conversations with people. Um, and and that's really what, what it is. Um, so I would say go do that. I, as far as if you really disagree with, with somebody that you're working for, or if you're even told, like I said, I've never been in a place where I've been told I can't cover a story or I have to cover it a certain way. And I have seen, we've heard about it in local news and we've heard about anchors walk away or get fired. We've heard about reporters go and use their platform to put their own slant on things. And, um, and I, I, I really do struggle with that, right? Because, um, if nobody's listening and you're screaming into the void, does it matter anyway? Um, and then if I need to do something like John Oliver or John Stewart to get that attention, right. Does it devalue the work? And I I don't think that it does. Right. I think artists can make expressive statements through their artwork and you don't have to agree or disagree with what it is, but to do a story on that can help that message get out there and, and you see how people respond. Um, I believe in democracy and I think that the most important thing is that we have an informed electorate, right? And I think that's one of the things in this in this era of fake news, as you say, is um, is the most is most concerning to me. Um, but fake news isn't new, right? Like there have been tabloids and newspapers and things around for centuries um, about the Penny Gazette talking about aliens, you know, on this planet. But conspiracy theories and things like this, you know, it was harder for me to reach out to somebody who believed in that same conspiracy theory because one, I was afraid to come out and say that I believed in it because I didn't want to get judged in public and I didn't think other people believed it, right? Yeah. So, so I kept it to myself if I did. Two, e- even if 
there were a thousand people out there, we might have been spread all over the place. Now I can find those people on social media. And I think what happens right now in our climate is that we think things are the belief of the majority mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily true. It's just a vocal, it's a vocal minority. And you don't know how big that is, how large those masses are, but I think extremes on both ends are bad, right? You can get burnt by fire. You can get burnt by ice. Eventually it comes full circle. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when we look at extremes, I think we need to, we need to think about that from both ends. Um, and I think that we need to be willing to listen to people as much as we speak. I mean, it's, I don't know who said it, but I've heard it many times in my life. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We should listen twice as much as we speak. As somebody in the media, um, my sons are making sure that I catch up and, and listen a lot more <laughs> when I come home. I do a lot less speaking at home, um, yeah. so I'll say that. But but yeah, it, it's this idea of, of if you disagree with me, you're my enemy now. Not that that we just see things differently or maybe my life is different than yours. I look at New York and New York is not this world, right? New York is not this country. It is a unique place. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we need to be, we need to keep that in mind. We don't know, even your best friend in life, you have very little knowledge of what they're going through in any given moment and how the events of their life shaped the person that they've become today. I was literally having a conversation about this with a, a very good friend of mine recently who I've known since high school. And I'm like, man, you're one of my best friends in the whole world. I've known you for 20 years at this point, but I'm like, what happened in your childhood and how that shaped you? Like, I only have a, a surface level understanding of that, if even that. Sure. Um, so I think we need, just need to be, we need to be cognizant of that um, when we talk about different things. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> it was a long <laughs> have an open mind. <laughs> the short all that to say have an open mind. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, and, you know I want to you know I'm not trying to throw you under any buses or anything like that or you know have you put your foot in your mouth, man. So so I really appreciate the way that you did answer it. <clears throat> and I think I think you shared a lot of really powerful uh, powerful trinkets in there especially as you started talking about, you know, when you come home, you know, you're talking to your, you know, you're talking to your kids and they're not, you know, they're not interested in you talking, they're interested in you listening. Uh, and what, and what does that look like? And it's, it's, it is, it is a, it is a special time to be in your field. Uh, it is, it is a, it's, it is a memorable time to be in it. Uh, it's a very important time, as I mentioned, and it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's let me good. say let me say this for a second yeah. because you know going back, yes, it's it's ridiculously important. And when you look at media uh, in the mainstream, like uh, it's a for profit business, right? And I don't, I, I struggle with that as mm -hmm. a as a journalist because if you, especially now in this day and age, because social media changed the game so much, and we live in these echo chambers, right? There's an algorithm that saw that I stopped scrolling on this Facebook post. So now let me see if they like more Facebook posts like this and decide what to show them. So we can't, we, we, we end up in these echo chambers that reinforce our views. And then when it comes to the media now from a news perspective, so many of these organizations can see what you clicked on on the website. So now, hey, this story got so much attention on the web. Let's do more stories like this on the newscast, right? Mm -hmm. And it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy. And now if you want to do something that's an outlier, like to try something new is scary or is not is, 
is risky, I should say, because it could cost them money. And if nobody's going to click on it, then why do I want to dedicate resources to it? Um, and with information being so ubiquitous now, because of blogs, because of websites, it's like uh, we're f you're fighting over breadcrumbs uh, for so many of these stations. That's why so many newspapers have gone under. That's why so many uh, local TV stations are getting bought out by bigger and bigger ownership groups. So it, it does – the, there is a challenge in there of of is the tail wagging the dog, um, yeah. and and if so, is it on us as the consumer to demand better? Right, like we want to talk about personal responsibility. If we don't ask for it, if we don't want to do these things, then um, if if then we're not going to get it from the organizations that are out there that are are creating this content, and that's what it is. They're creating this content for us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we live in a world. I know I've said this on here before, but we live in a world where more people, more people are interested in being right than what is right, right? Like validation sells, right. and and that's what a lot of these uh, stations and media outlets and social social media platforms are doing. They're validating people's thoughts so they can be like, "See, I know it. I'm right. right. Another good day of being me and being right, <laughs> right? Like, and that's and, and so yeah. validation." Validation sells because discomfort is 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 uh, not a state that a lot of people want to sit in, right? That's yeah. why assuming is easier than learning. And so, in in our times right now, it is imperative that you and I, as new parents, start to try to see how can we how can we create a world where our children are developing their own minds. Now, that's hard because we have beliefs and how we feel, how we feel the world is works and how, how we, who we feel should be getting representation or having their voices amplified or who we think should be in the offices and in the seats of, of government and who we should, et cetera, et cetera, right? right. Um, policing our neighborhoods, whatever it is. Um, and so we all have our own opinions about those things. And it's, it's hard not to pass those opinions on. And in some ways, that's one of the reasons why you have offspring, because you want to continue the legacy of thought, right? That's not necessarily, we're not necessarily in the place as we were uh, in back in the olden days where it's like, well, I need to have my son so someone can run the cracker factory when I'm done. That's uh, right, like, because I need that cow to be milked on the farm. <laughs> and uh, at this point, I'm getting too old. I got to tend to the chickens. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, that, I mean, some of that has changed, not everywhere in the country, but in a lot of places it has. Um, and so- I'm wondering, as someone who is a father to, you have two kids? Two. Two, yeah. Um, as someone who's a father to two kids, you know, and being a father is something I know that you take very seriously and a lot of joy in as well. It's also something that's been, uh, as, as you've spoken about on the dad habit, you know, one of your biggest teachers. Um, but for you, as you think about, and you and your wife think about raising your children, um, how are you trying to teach them to have an open mind? Um. So I think this is really interesting because I'm going to use religion uh, as an example here to talk about this. So I'm not a um, – I, I was raised Roman Catholic, and, and I would say I, I still am a Catholic very small c, but I don't practice uh, my religion very much. And that being said, I think religion is so valuable, um, especially at a, at a young age, and – I think it taught me lessons about empathy, about right from wrong, um, in a way that 
I wouldn't have gotten any place else, right? So it was kind of a tool set for me. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I look at with my children is I want to give them the tools uh, to be able to think for themselves, to be able to think critically, um, to be able to say when they disagree with something. Um, and that's okay. And I had a really scary moment. Um, and this is interesting because I had a scary moment. I was on vacation. We were at the Jersey shore and my son was, we thought was with his cousin and they were going up to the room. We were down at the pool, uh, and they got separated on the elevator. Right. And, um, to be honest, I didn't even realize he was missing until my, uh, cousin's kid came down without my son and i was like oh where's maddox is he in the room and he i don't know and then shortly thereafter a woman brought maddox to me um to <laughs> us and she was like hey you brought him back down to the pool and he was like oh there's my dad type of thing and i didn't have a chance to be terrified and scared um but afterwards when we were talking about it i was like what happened right and i, I just wanted to know what happened um but what the biggest moment of it was, was for me, I was, I kept peppering him because I want, I believe in truth, right? I, I believe in being truthful. I can't help you if you're not going to tell me the truth about what happened. But I also didn't want him to say something because he thought it's what I wanted to hear, right? right? And so look, it, it was a, it was a moment where I was like, I want to teach him that one, we should be truthful and, and that don't, even if it's not the thing that I want to hear, I, I want, I need you to tell me that. Um, don't just tell me something because it's you, it, you think it's what I want to say. So mm -hmm. they didn't get on the same elevator is basically what happened or he got off at a different floor and I'm still not clear on the whole situation, but we learned about sticking together and you use that as a teachable moment and, and you use them that moment to say, listen, I, I just need you to always tell me the truth. Cause I can't help you if I don't know the facts. Um, and, and that's so important. And, I think when it comes to those lessons in life, as, as I'm teaching him to, to think for himself and think critically, it's about personal responsibility, right? It's about pointing, it's about being self-sufficient um, and using your strength to help others up rather than push them down. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I try and instill to him over and over again, because there's going to be a time when you're weak. You can be strong in so many areas. You can know a lot about a lot. But there's going to be a, a scenario or an area of life where you're not going to know anything and somebody else has a lot more information uh, that'll be or experience that'll be helpful and useful to you. And I think we can learn something from everybody. We can have a good time with everybody. And that may not be all the time. We may disagree on some things. We may live life differently. But I believe that people are inherently good um, and just want the best for themselves and their families. And when, you know, when they believe that they can't get that without conflict or taking over from, you know, from somebody else. That's where we run into issues. Um, but I do believe that with work and, and with conversation, you can find scenarios uh, and, and outcomes that are beneficial and that do um, take into account the needs of everyone in mind. Mm. I hope he has, I hope he's gathered all that as a four-year-old. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how can you not? Right. I mean, the father spouting wisdom like this, right? Kids drinking from a fire hose. Uh <laughs> I know. But listen, but the other thing is so it's true because you said earlier that like we learn from our children, right? And and I mm -hmm. think that sometimes we overcomplicate life, right? There's the whole thing out there about everything I need to learn in life I learned in kindergarten. And sometimes I think 
that I look at things and he'll say something, you know, the wisdom from the mouth of babes type of thing, where it's like, man, I'm overthinking a situation about what worry or anxiety or, you know, whatever it is, um, or just being thoughtful when it comes to other people. And we were out doing shopping for back to school clothes and things like that. And I said, look, you know, we can get a toy. And he's like, well, I want to get a toy for Lukey too. Cause I don't think it's fair. His little brother, I don't think it's fair if I get something and then he doesn't get something. I said, well, think about it this way. When you get something, he gets something too, because you will share with him and things like that. But just the idea of thinking about other people, um, in a moment where he had an opportunity to be extremely selfish, um, is is just something that is is eye opening and is something that we can all all learn from. And honestly, in the grand scheme of things, his selflessness led me to get another toy, which then he gets to benefit from because he's going to play with that too. So it's really like he got two toys. Sounds like he knows the system. I mean, you know, well. he's next level thinking, right? Yeah. He's uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, this is when you realize you are the puppet. Right. And he is the puppeteer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Tell me, man, why, uh, why does being a dad matter to you? Right. So much so that you've wanted to reach out to other dads and, and try to find a community, build a community of dads. Why does being a dad matter to you? Oh, for, for so many reasons. Uh, the first thing is, um, I was raised primarily by a single mother. Um, and there are definitely those moments in life where, you know, um, there, I, I've never had a shortage of male role models in my life. My mom is one of six children. She has five older brothers. Uh, and I think that I benefited in so many ways from that because I have uncles who were good at so many different things and, and took me under their, their wing. And I got to take, a little bit of their areas of expertise away from each one of them. So, you know, you had the uncle who's the comedian, you have the one who was the businessman and the networker, you have the one who's the electrician and you could take things apart with. And uh, I, I feel so fortunate that I got to experience all of that with all of them. And I've had some, you know, she has, um, she's married now and and there's a great man in, in my life who is, who didn't have to be a dad. And now, and I think at first was, um, a little bit confused or struggled with emotion. Um, you know, the stoic Irish Catholic there that, that you deal with. So I think, I think in some ways we, we taught him to love and, and I see what he's gotten out of that. And, and so I always knew that I wanted to be there for my children. And, and I don't have no, I have, I have zero animosity toward my biological father. Um, I honestly think like it, it's funny. Sometimes I think I, I got lucky in the sense that he left because I've seen some children go through some brutal divorces of their parents and, and I didn't have to be subject to that. So uh, and if he wasn't ready to be um, a father at that point, I mean, then he sh probably shouldn't have gotten himself into the situation that he did. However, um, I, I think maybe it was better for him to walk away in that sense um, because it could have been more detrimental. Um, but that being said, I, I, being a dad is so important to me because I want to pass all of those things down to my children um, that I got to see from the men that have been a part of my life, number one. Uh, number two, I think being a dad right now is a really interesting thing because 
masculinity, the definition of that is changing. The role of men in, in life is just changing. I mean, how many men now are no, are, aren't the breadwinners in their home and all of their youth. It's like, there was something ingrained that that's what the man does. Right. And whether, whether it was true or not, it's like, that's what we saw. That's what we heard. That's what we learned that the woman provides by having the children and taking care of those children. And you provide by going out and making the money so that you can have the stake and, and put it on the table. Um, and, and there's like emotion and, and dealing with emotions. And that conversation was not a part of the discussion at all for dads, right? Moms will deal with that stuff, but that's not true anymore. And, and I think yes. we've seen, um, you know, rates of alcoholism among men in uh, previous generations and decades maybe there's some attribution to that about swallowing your emotions and and dealing with it that way. Um, There's, I think it's so important in today's changing landscape that fathers be a part of their children's lives. Um, And because we've seen the benefits that children have from two parent households where both are involved. There's a study that I quote all the time about the benefits. And of course I'm going to misquote it now, but the, the benefits of just a child reading to their children, whether it's a boy or a girl, son or daughter, um, has rate has uh, serious impacts on the child's ability to read at an earlier age, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think there's so many things and that can go into that, and and so many other factors that maybe we're not even seeing in these studies. And I think we try, you know, maybe maybe that's oversimplifying it, but the idea is just being there for your child. Um, is is something that is natural. I wasn't the Grinch, right, before, and I wasn't an unemotional <laughs> guy, but, but my heart grew three sizes when I had my first son, and I think it probably grew another three sizes when my second son was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have this, this wellspring of love that I want to share with them. Um, I want to teach them. I want to. I want to. I want to gr- watch them grow up, but I want to learn with them. I, I love getting to experience new things and rediscover um, all these things with my son. Right, the things that I love to do, it, it benefits me in a way. It's a little bit like volunteer work, right? Like people, is there any such thing as altruism out there? Um, because the the benefits of going out and, and volunteering and helping somebody or doing charity work, it's like, oh, I feel great about myself. So for doing that and whether it's your motivation or not, does that really even matter? Mm-hmm. But like getting to see something for the first time, like going on a, a, a ride at an amusement park or learning about bugs and getting down and, you know, picking up an ant or uh, seeing a moth or flying a kite, like all of these things and these le- that, that maybe you learned and you forgot, maybe you never learned in the first place um, is awesome. And then the other thing is just seeing I love meeting new people in general. Right. And so, so seeing my son, my sons become the children that they are and hopefully the, the young men that they become is like, is, is awesome to know that you played a very small part in that. Um, because this world is so, is there are so many influences in this world and, and really to go to harken back to a previous question, it's about providing the tools and just setting them on the right track because they're going to drive the course, right? You can, yes. you can get, you can put a map out there and tell them, but, but ultimately they're going to figure out what, what course they're going to take. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of this role is like, uh, we're kind of like the bumpers and bumper bowling where it's like, we're going to stop you from falling into a pit of death. But other than that, you know, however many pins you knock down, it's kind of up to you, right? (laughs) And even so, there's there's still that small space at the end of the runway where that ball could still end up in the gutter. I have shamefully wound up there and I don't want to talk about those moments, but uh, (laughs) in actual bowling and in life, actually. But yeah. Oh, Joe, it has been incredible talking to you, brother. Uh, it, uh, time with you flies as, as always. Uh, I appreciate your wisdom. I love your outlook on like uh, on life. And uh, yeah, I, I, thank you, man. I really appreciate you for sliding in the diner booth, man. I wish I wish life had our paths cross more frequently than it does, but I'm grateful for the moments it has. That's it. Uh, you can't you can't not appreciate the time you do have together. When, however, however long it may be. And listen, anytime, anytime you got an open spot in the diner booth, I'm happy to slide in. But next time I am actually going to have a malted beforehand. I'm just drinking a cup of coffee and water over here. I don't blame <laughs> you. People don't even know what malteds are out no. there. So they got to get their stuff together. Get an, give me an extra scoop in there too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you like it thick, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I like milkshakes like I like myself. Thick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Let's end on that, brother. Tell me, tell the people, man, where where can they stay in touch with you, Joe? Yeah, man. Uh all the social media channels, you can check it out. Joe the reporter uh over on Instagram. Uh you can check out the dad habit if you want to be a part of that growing community. It's uh it definitely is a uh, passion project that I do there, but always just love building that community of dads who have questions, who just want to network, who you know, want to basically be the best men that they can for their own families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously you can tune in on PIX11 News. Uh, we got a new show, the New York Blitz, if you're a Jets or Giants fan, every Sunday at 11 a.m. That's uh, now we're in football season. And at 11 p.m., we've got PIX11 Sports Nation. So hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, doesn't matter. I'm available and uh, always looking for a good conversation. You can tell me why my sports opinions are wrong. Always looking for. Now with the Sunday Maddox, does that mean you're a Braves fan? No, not at all. And I say this all the time, like Tommy, not Greg. Uh, Tommy, the XFL turned Pitts, uh, quarterback turned Pittsburgh ah, okay. Steeler. He's M-A-D-D-O-X. And to be honest, his name was going to be Charles. And we met the kid when he was born and we both looked at each other and said, he's not Charles. Not so Charles. <laughs> we went, we went scrambling and he's a Christmas baby at that. Uh, so when we found Maddox the, somewhere, it told me that it means beneficent. I like the way it sound Maddox Masiri and, and the rest, as they say, is history. Cool. But gotta- if he has the career of Greg Maddox, shoot, if he has the career of Tommy Maddox, You'd be all right. I, I'm not going to complain either way, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, I love it, brother. I love it. Uh, so special talking to you, man. Thank you so much for coming in here uh, to the diner. I really, I really appreciate it. And, uh, and we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Man. Glad we got to do this. You're paying the bill, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, no, no I'll get you next time. Yeah, all right, buddy. All right. (laughs) Y'all, that was my man, Joe. He is an incredible, incredible man. I hope you enjoyed his wisdom today, dropping nothing but dimes and nuggets out here for the people. I loved what he said about being a part of the media and what the media's role is, again, to share information, not affirmation, uh, and some powerful words about how we can teach our kids to have open minds and while we have to maintain them ourselves in order to teach it to others so it was really cool hanging out with joe and i hope you really enjoyed your time here in the diner so we could hang out again next week y'all but in the meantime keep punching small talk in the face by asking meaningful questions you all take care
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, <laughs> come on now, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.